Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. In Esther chapter number 3, we are introduced to one more character, the, <laughs> the villain of this story, of Haman. And maybe in cursory reading, you may not get to see how dastardly and villainous this man really is. But by the end of tonight, you can see that this is truly someone who is being used by Satan and spiritual forces to try to get God not to keep his promises. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in the book of Esther in chapter number 3. In Esther chapter 3, starting at verse number 1, notice what the Word of God says. Esther chapter 3 in verse 1, the Bible says this, After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgress thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, that, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. He thought scorn to lay on Mordecai alone, for they had shown him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month, and to the twelfth month, that is the month, Adar. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, There was a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agite, the Jews' enemy." And the king said to Haman, The silver is given to thee, and the people also to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded to the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of the people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language. In the name of king Ahasuerus it was it written and sealed with the king's ring. 
And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the twelfth, thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, to take and spoil of them for a prey. And a, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, that they should be ready against that day. The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Esther in chapter 3? Esther in chapter 3 in verse number 10, where it gives the name Haman, and then where it says the Agite, the Jews' enemy. And with the Lord's help, I would like to preach to you about Haman, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. Haman, the Agagite, that's how you say it, Agagite, the Jews' enemy. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this subject here and as we walk through this wonderful book and we go through this chapter and we can see the villain rise, we know that this isn't just a story. This is an historical event. This is something that truly happened. And Lord, the fear and the, the trepidation, the the awe of what's going on, those people at that time just to be so perplexed and wonder what in the world is going on. And we could see the hatred of one man. And yet we can step behind and look away and see the big picture and see that this is a spiritual battle and not just a single man's hatred. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to be able to apply these things in the Bible, to see them and to see it opened up. And Lord, I know that a lot of these good folks tonight have gone through struggles this week. They, they've gone through tribulations. They've gone through heartache. They've had all kinds of things happen. And many of them, it may have been easier for them to just have stayed home. But yet they came anyways. Lord, I'm asking that you would be a blessing. So that when they walk out of the doors here, they said, I'm so glad I came anyways. I'm glad I came regardless. That you would show yourself faithful once again. That you do what I cannot, and that's speak to hearts. You do what I cannot, and that's encourage these good folks. Lord, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. And beg that you use me in a special way tonight. Fill me with your spirit. And get your own work accomplished. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now as we examine this, we see the villain who's now been examined. We see Haman, the Agagite. Now the reason why I'm putting a great emphasis on who he is, the Agagite, is because Mr. Agag is an uh, ancestor of Haman, and he's already been mentioned in the scriptures. If you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to show you in dealing with this is the background of the enemy. The background of the enemy. And if you wouldn't mind, hold your finger here. We're returning here. But turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And let's go back and trace this ancestry. Chase, uh, 
to go back and to trace this history. Here it says that it is Haman the Agagite. Why would God put a big emphasis on putting his origin? Why would God put a big emphasis to identify who this person is? Well, that's because these two peoples, the Jewish people and the Agagites, have a history. And it goes all the way back to the very first king of Israel, King Saul. And notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse uh, chapter number 15, 1 Samuel 15, and if you don't mind, we're going to kind of skim past this chapter a little bit. Notice with me in verse number 1. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over this people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou to the voice of the words of the Lord. Now Samuel saying, Saul, God's got a job for you. And it's not me, it's God has a job for you. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and he came unto Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness unto all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the Amalekites. And small smote the Amalekites, having from Havia until thou comest to Shur, which is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, notice this guy, Agag the king, of the Amalekites alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the swords. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and that was good, and did not utterly destroy them, but in everything that was vile and refuge, they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord to Samuel, saying, It repented me that I have sent up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And then the story goes where Samuel actually confronts Saul and says, Did you do what God told you to do? And Saul said, Yes, I did. And Samuel said, Well, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep? And he says, oh, oh, wait, wait, I obeyed except for that part, and I saved the best, and I was going to give that to God. Here, Saul did not obey. Remember, partial obedience is complete disobedience. And God said, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. And the head of the Amalekites was a king, Agag. And Saul had spared him, and we're assuming from the context of the Bible, he also spared some of the good kids, the good-looking kids, you know, and whatnot. And some of the people slept, slipped through the cracks. Here we find 700, 800 years later, Haman the Agagite, who is a direct descendant from King Agag. You know, 800 years ago, God knew all of history. And he said, I want you to destroy these people. And I want you to get them out of the way. Because I know later on there's going to be a man who rises up who's going to try to kill all of your people. 
And I'd like to head it off. But Saul did not obey. And now 800 years later. We have problems because one guy decided not to obey. That's a problem isn't it? You see God knew what he was doing. I've met people before who get so offended with God. Why did God say kill all of the people and kill all of the things? Because God is a good God and he knew all of history. He knew what was going to happen. He said, here's your chance to stop and prevent atrocities from occurring. Here's your chance. And Saul did not obey completely. Now he... he Argued and fought like every other kid. Did you clean your room? Yes. How about under your bed? Oh, wait, let me check. That means, no, I didn't obey. Saul, because of his disobedience, set up the story, set up a villain, set up someone who is later going to try to destroy the Jewish people. And you say, wait, really? Is it 800 years later? There's still that animosity? Well, may I show you another Bible passage? Turn with me to the book of Exodus in chapter number 17. In Exodus 17, if you might remember, is this fight between Joshua. Remember, Moses is on the hill and he's raising his hands over the hill. We just went over the name of God, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. And remember that Moses' hands were heavy and he had Aaron and Hur standing beside him lifting up his arms. And every time he lifted up his arms, Joshua was winning the battle. You remember who they were fighting against? The Amalekites. The same people who Agag came from. The same person, descendants that... That Haman came from. And notice the very last verse of this chapter. Exodus 17 and verse number 16. For he said. Now it's God that's speaking here. uh, Because the Lord had sworn. That the Lord would have war with Amalek. From generation to generation. You see God was able to look through the corridors of history. And all the way back to Moses. He could say, this is a group of people that is going to fight against you. He's going to fight against the Jewish people. He's going to fight against Israel. They're going to be a thorn in your side over and over and over and over. Moses is occurring about 1423 B.C. Saul has a chance to fix it in about 1100 B.C. But he does not. Now we come to the book of Esther in about 480 B.C. All those years later, and they're still being plagued by the same group of people, the Amalekites. And you have these people that are still trying to kill the Jewish people. Now with that, we give some background of the enemy. Where does the background, why does he already have this innate hatred of the Jewish people? And now you know that it ties all the way back from Exodus. It goes all the way to the first Samuel and continues because of someone's disobedience. And we now find our way to the book of Esther in chapter number 3. I gave the background of the enemy as we explore Esther chapter 3. I want to show you the bitterness towards one person. The bitterness towards one person. Notice back with me in verse number one. Now this event is occurring five years into Esther's marriage. Esther has been married five years, so some time has passed. Esther is pretty secure as being queen for five years. 
She's not going anywhere. People are used to her being queen. She is established in power alongside of Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus has been emperor for 12 years. He is established. And there comes a man who rose up through the ranks. And he is a good help to the king. But he's got a very bad pride problem. And he thinks that he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Especially since he was there before sliced bread. Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse number 1. Now after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman. The son of Hamadetha the Agagite. And advanced him. That means promoted him. And set his seat above the princes that were with him. So here is... Ahasuerus, he is the emperor of this vast empire. And now second in command of all of the empire is Haman. Haman has worked himself up and he is above all the rest of the princes. Verse number two. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. Now, what is this commandment? This isn't just giving respect or saluting your your commanding officer. But remember that the Persian emperor is considered a god. So when he is giving this command for Haman. For people to bow down and reverence him. What he is saying the commandment is. Is for you to bow down and worship Haman. Now someone who believes in the Lord. Would have an issue with this. And this is where Mordecai steps in. Notice at the end of verse 2. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Now Mordecai is not being, um, he is not trying to disrespect Haman. He just understands that there's only one person he's going to bow down to and that's God. And then he is not going to worship a man like the law says. And so he's, he's not trying to be rebellious. He is submitting, meaning that he's willing to take whatever consequences, but he's making a stand. I am not going to worship anyone but God. That is who I'm reverencing to. That's who I'm submitting to. I'm only worshiping God. Now it came to pass, or verse number three, and the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why transgresseth the king's commandment? Now that's a legitimate question. Here's Haman, he's going down and he's going, uh, walking down the street and everyone's bowing down and Mordecai's in the background and he's not bowing. Some guy, he's probably peeking, kind of like people do in the invitation. You're not supposed to, by the way, but kind of peeking and says, why are, you, uh, why are you standing? You're supposed to be bowing down and worship the guy. Why would you break the law? Why do you do that? And Mordecai explained. Notice in verse number 4. Now it came to pass when they spake daily. This is a daily occurrence. That he hearkened not unto them. They said, man, you're going to get in lots of trouble if you don't bow down. Just bow down. No one's going to know. You don't have to worship him. Just bow down and make it look like you are. You know, so you don't get in trouble. And he says, I can't. I can't. And he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman. So someone finally broke and told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he told him he was a Jew. You see, Mordecai said, I'm sorry, I'm a Jew. And because I'm a Jewish person, because I'm a Hebrew, there's only one God. And we're going to serve only that one God. I cannot worship another. And they said, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to tell Haman. And let's see how well you stand when we go tell him. He says, do what you got to do. And so they went and told Haman, did you know that there's this Jewish guy who refuses to bow down? Every time you go, he refuses to bow down. He says, he's only going to worship one God and you're not it. Well, Haman, who thought he was 
everything. He believed his own news reports. Because of his pride, how dare someone's not going to worship me? How dare someone defy me? You almost see him looking in the mirror and say, I'm gorgeous. He says, I'm great. I'm great. This is, why, why wouldn't someone worship me? Why wouldn't someone, ba- why not? How dare he? And he's getting mad because this one guy decides that he is going to defy the law and not worship him. I mean, why couldn't he even just bow down and make it look like it? Why does he have to stand up? Doesn't he know who I am? And verse number six, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they showed him the people of Mordecai. Now, he said, you know, I'm going to show him, I'm going to get Mordecai. And they say, well, wait a second. He says he's a Jewish people. Do you know that there's Jews living all over the place? There are Jews living all over the place. Well, I'm going to punish all of them because of that one guy. So we could see the bitterness towards one man. Notice what he said. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Now remember that this kingdom of Persia goes all the way up from Greece to Russia. It extends from Egypt all the way to India And inside of this would be the Palestine area, the homeland of Jerusalem, the homeland of the Jewish people. And that entire area, I want you to remember that this is happening during the time of the middle of Ezra, between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. So you know who all Jews are there? You have Nehemiah, you have Ezra, you have Zerubbabel, you have Joshua the high priest, you have You have Haggai, the prophet. You have Zechariah, the prophet. All of these guys are sentenced to die as well. You have many of these people, Jewish people, who are scattered throughout the empire. This is a man who has now recorded the first attempt at genocide, the destruction of an entire race of people. And this is his goal. Just because he's bitter and mad at one person. You see, bitterness can destroy so much. And bitterness not only can affect just that one thing, he wants to kill the entire race of people because of this one man. Now, you could almost say that it's just bred into his DNA, his genes. He is an Amalekite after all. And they are going to have war with the Jewish people from generation to generation, as the Bible said. That you could almost say this was just on its way to happening from all the generations to come to this head. And now someone is in enough power over all of the Jewish people. Remember, Jerusalem is a province of Persia. It is under Persian control. This is a man that controls the life and death of all the, Pers- of all the Jewish people in the world at this time. So we see the bitterness towards a people Now let's look and see what's going to happen. A third thing I'd like to show you is a bid to destroy a people. A bid to destroy a people. 
So he decided that he's going to kill the Jewish people. So how are we going to do this? Verse number seven. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king of Hasris, they cast her. Now that's going to be an important word later on in the book of Esther. The Casper, that is the lot. Before Haman from day to day, from month to month, from 12th month, that is the month of Adar. So what is happening in verse 7? That's a lot of words. Basically they cast a lot. Basically, let's imagine this. They had their 12-month calendar, and they take a 12-sided dice, and they roll it, and they said, all right, let's find what month, all right? Now let's find out what day, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is on the calendar. Mark it in your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. It is the official Persian holiday of Kill the Jew Day. It is now on the books. On this holiday, we want you to kill all the Jewish people. We'll get him more into that. But first of all, they cast lots. Let's find out what day we want to do this. Because they want to do this empire-wide. Not just local, but the entire empire. They want everyone. So they wanted to give enough time so everyone got the word. Verse number 8. And Haman said to the king Ahasuerus. Now, he's got to sell this to the king. That there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse or different from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. Remember, this word suffer means to allow. He says, king, I got a problem for you. He says, what is it? He says, there's a group of people I just found out. There's a group of people called the Jews. And they're scattered all throughout your empire. And they don't obey your laws. King, they don't recognize you as God. They have their own gods. And they have their own things. Remember the Jewish dietary laws? They don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon and pork chops. Well, Persians did. And so here's these group of people. They're different. They dress different. They eat different. They have different laws. They don't like you as God. They don't like you being God. And by the way, king, it is not for your profit. Hey, you want to ever find a good manipulator? You know what a good manipulator does? A good manipulator tries to see, show you why it's in your interest to do what they want. King, it doesn't profit you at all to have these people. I'm going to do you a favor by getting rid of them. I'm helping you out, king. You know, the Jewish people didn't do anything wrong against Ahasuerus. But he's trying to sell it. And he's trying to say, King, you will be better off if we kill this entire group of people. We get rid of them. Now notice how he sweetens the pot. In verse number 9. If it please the king, let it be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands that have charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasuries. Now Haman's been thinking about this. What happens if you kill... Let's just say half a million people within a kingdom. Don't you lose those taxes? There's a money issue. So what Haman does is says, what I'll do is I will pay 10,000 talents of silver, which is a large amount of money. And he says, I'll cover the taxes you're going to lose. I'm going to, I'll cover, I'll pay myself from my own treasuries and I will pay so you don't lose any money by killing them as citizens. So look, we get rid of people who are going to cause you trouble. You don't lose out any money because I'm going to cover that. How about it, king? Why wouldn't you? You see, he's thought about this 
And he's thought about how to pitch this to the king so he could have an offer that he can't refuse. Notice as he goes on. And verse number 10, and the king took his ring. Now, why is this important? A king carried his signet, his signature on a ring usually, and they would stamp it in wax, and it was the official king's signature. So what the king did is he slipped his ring off and said, here you go, Haman, you write the law, you put my official seal on it, and I approve. You go ahead and write it however you want. So he got what he wanted. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agite, the Jew's enemy. Now the Bible is putting emphasis here on how dark this verse is. With the passing of this ring, this man has now received power over all of the earth to kill the Jewish people. You can almost sense that if you did the special effects. If you were doing a Hollywood version of this, this would be the time as soon as he passed the ring where the thunder would strike and the lightning would flash and you can almost hear it this awful time that this is a moment that is awful in all of history. This time here when he passes that ring that Haman the Agite, the Jews' enemy has now received power to kill all of the Jewish people. Notice as it goes on, verse 11. And the king said to Haman, The silver is given to thee, and the people also, to do them as it seemeth good to thee. Then the king's scribes called the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province, according to the writing thereof, to the people after their own language, in the name of king Ahab. It was written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month Adar. Now, here he says, all right. He grabs all the people and he says, I write, I want you to write in every language spoken in our empire. I want you to write that on this day, on this month, is official kill the Jew day. And I want you to give it to every ruler, every leader, every post office. I want you to put it everywhere where people go. I want you to have it there. I want you to have it so every ruler has it. I want you to have it that every leader, community leader, has this. That it's official kill the Jew day. And that on this day, you're supposed to kill every Jew, whether it's man, woman, child, infant, you kill them. Now, in order to make sure that this law is passed, or or that the people are going to carry it on, notice what the provision is, verse number uh, 13 at the end of it. And to take the spoil of them for a prey. So here's the law. That on such a day and such a month, it is official kill the Jew day. And you are to kill every Jewish person you can find. And for every Jew that you kill, you get all their stuff. So you know what happens? People start looking at their Jewish neighbors and starts looking at their car. Starts looking at their house. We know we don't have cars then, but they have their transportation, their oxen, their horses. You go ahead and look 
at this nice house that they have, their pots and pans, their pictures, their jewelry boxes. You go ahead and they almost have all this time to scope out. I want to go to my neighbor's house and I want to go have a dinner with them. Hmm, where do you keep your china at? Where's your silverware? Where's your jewelry box? Hmm, oh wait, I'll be right back. Where is your restroom? And then go dig through the closet. You know, some people probably did that. There's the law that on a certain day, you are allowed by law to kill every Jewish person. And every Jewish person you kill, you get their stuff, get prepared. This is going to be the biggest holiday you've ever had. Can you imagine a law being passed like that? Can you imagine what it would be like for you to be a Jewish person and to stop by your post office? And see this announcement from the king. To kill every Jewish person. And they get your stuff. Could you imagine what worry you might have? What paranoia you'd have in the next couple days. Looking over your shoulder and everyone's looking at you. And you're wondering if they're looking at you because they feel sorry for you. Or because they want your stuff. Who's going to kill you? Which one of your neighbors are going to backstab you? Which one of your your Neighbors are the ones that are trying to get your stuff. You imagine how they didn't feel safe? Can you imagine what it would be like? <laughs> this is off topic, but there's going to be a lot of comparisons between Nazi Germany and Stalin Russia. In Nazi Germany, they had a special holiday, Kill the Jew Day, called the Crystal Knock, which is the Night of the Knives. Night of the Shattered Glass, sorry. Kristallnacht. And literally Adolf Hitler said, anyone in my Reich, my kingdom, on this certain day, you find every Jewish business owner and you kill them and take their stuff. You see, this isn't the first time it's happened. It's happened over and over. We're going to see a pattern here. We could see a man who is ordered to kill all the Jewish people, to commit Jewish genocide, to try to get rid of all the Jewish people. And you say, this is an encouraging story, preacher. This isn't, this isn't, well, remember, we're going to see the end of it. But as you could tell, what's happening is it's building up. There's a hopelessness here. You know, the only way of escape is God. You know what God is also doing with the Jewish people? I bet you there's a lot of Jewish people who haven't prayed to God in a long time who begin to pray. There's a lot of people who start seeking after God and say, God, I need you now. You're our only hope. We can't do anything. Again. There, by the way, there's nowhere to escape. Persia is so big. There is no getting out of it. You can't go to India. You can't go to Asia or you can't go to, to Egypt. You can't go anywhere. Persia is everywhere and it is in every post office. It is everywhere, every province. All 127 of them have the official Kill the Jew Day on the books. You say, what is going on? Well, if you don't mind, may I show you what's going on? I want to show you the biblical explanation. The biblical explanation. What is going on? Turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the minor prophet books. If you're in the book of Esther now, keep going. <laughs> and you'll find the book of Job, Psalm. Proverbs. Then after that, you come to 
Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, or Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you come to the book of Isaiah and to the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Then after that, you come to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number 36, if you don't mind. In Ezekiel 36, we see a recap of some promises that God made to the Jewish people. Notice with me in Ezekiel 36, and notice with me in verse number 21. Ezekiel 36 and verse 21, the Bible says this, But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whether they went. Therefore say to, unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, wherein you went. I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I be sanctified in you before their eyes. And I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. Now, in 21 on, he, God's saying, hey, I'm going to keep some promises. I got some promises I made and I'm not keeping them because of you. I'm not keeping them because you're good people. You know, you profane my name. By the way, the Jewish people today, they're responsible for rejecting Jesus. It was under the Jewish people that that Jesus was crucified. He, he was rejected of his own people. The Jewish people today still don't accept Jesus Christ. They're not the best people around. They have a reputation. God says, I'm not doing it because how great you are. I'm doing it because I made a promise and I'm going to keep my promise. And he's recounting some of the promises. He says, I'm going to gather you in verse 24 out of those countries into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from your filthiness and from your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give to you and a new spirit will I give within you and I will take away the stony heart from out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And then it continues to go on through the end of the chapter and God's still giving this. But we know that God made several promises to Israel. If you're not familiar with the covenants that God made to Israel, would you mind to take some time to write them down because they're still applied today? That God in the future has promised, first of all, that Israel would have a nation. That they would be a nation and that God, they would not be destroyed. This is the Abrahamic covenant. That God may promise them a nation. He promised that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, that he promised them a nation. A second thing that he promised them is what is called the Palestinian covenant. He promised them the land. That God promised the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, a land that he is going to give to them in the millennium kingdom. That one day he's going to gather them from all the countries and he's going to put them in the land. In 1948, Israel became its own country, but that was not the fulfillment of prophecy. More, people live, more Jewish people live in New York City than the entire country of Israel. That promise has not yet been fulfilled, but it will one day. But God promised them the land, or uh, sorry, he promised them, first of all, a nation. That's the Abrahamic covenant. He promised them the land that's called the Palestinian covenant. He promised them a Messiah or a king that's called the Davidic covenant. He promised them a king forever. That's the Messiah. He promised them that they would always have a king, anointed one. 
And then he promised them a new heart. This is called the new covenant. But he promised them that he's going to bring them to himself. And they're going to get saved. And that's going to happen in the future. Do you know that God has not fulfilled this promise yet? It's going to be fulfilled in what is called the millennium kingdom. It is during the millennium kingdom that the people as a nation, by the way, that, that promise of a nation, that means the Jewish people will never be destroyed, that there will always be Jewish people, and that they will be together as a nation, uh, all gathered together one time in the future in the millennium kingdom. He promised them the land, which is yet to be fulfilled in its entirety. He actually promised them all the way from Egypt to the Euphrates River. All of that one day is going to be the nation of Israel in the millennium kingdom. He promised them a king forever, and that's King Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. And during the millennium kingdom, Jesus is going to rule not only Israel, but the entire world. Then he also promised them salvation. And during the tribulation period, God is going to be working primarily to bring the Jewish people back to himself. Do you know that if God does not complete that promise, then God is a liar. Now, this is why Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people over and over and over. Because if the Jewish people die, then God cannot fulfill his promise. This is why the Jewish people are under attack. Not because they're the holiest people or the greatest people. It's because God made them a specific promise. And God has to fulfill that promise or he is not God. And that's what Satan wants. He wants God to be disqualified. He wants God to be removed from being God because he wants the job. And so he sets up... All throughout history, you could see time and time and time again where the Jewish people have been threatened with annihilation. You see, here in Esther chapter number three is not the first or is not the only time. We saw it again in Nazi Germany in the late 1930s and early 1940s. But that wasn't the only time. 1428, they had the great plague that swept all the way through Europe. And during that time, one third of the population of Europe was killed. Guess who got the blame? The Jewish people. And they said in order to stop the plague, kill a Jew. And once again, and that's not the only time. It has happened throughout history time and time and time again. Why? Because if you believe in conspiracies, here's the biggest one for you. Satan has tried to do everything he can to kill the Jewish people. Not because he hates them specifically, I believe he hates Christians even more. But because if he could get rid of the Jewish people, that God cannot fulfill his promise. And God will be found a liar. You see, it is a spiritual war going on. But let me give you some encouragement. God will keep the promises to the Jewish people. And just like God will keep his promises to his Jewish people, which has been there for 4,000 years, this promises stand. Guess what? God will keep his promises to you. God will keep his promises to you. God hasn't forgot his promise. He's kept it for 4,000 years that there's always been a Jewish people. They're everywhere and they haven't been acclimated. They've always stood out. They've always been their nation. Oh, you notice there's no American Jews. They're always Jewish American. Oh, wait, how did I get it? They're American Jews, not Jewish Americans. They are their own people. They always stand out. They don't get mixed into society. They've always stood out. 
God has promised that and has always protected them. And God has kept his promise to those Jewish people. God will keep his promises to you. God will keep his promises to you. That God cannot lie. He is faithful. I want to give you that encouragement. Some of you can use some encouragement. God's going to keep his promises. God hasn't forgotten about you. Now, none of you are going through the tribulations that the Jewish people are now announced. None of you have opened your mail and found out that they've killed an official whatever you are day. These people face that. To have that, that sinking feeling inside of their gut. To know that there's nothing they could do. A helplessness that washed over them. But yet, God was faithful and we'll see the rest of the story in the upcoming weeks in the book of Esther God is a God who's going to keep his promises and it doesn't matter what Satan does and you know what it doesn't matter what spiritual warfare you may have it doesn't matter what things may disrupt your life God is faithful maybe you could say I don't see how good God is right now that's good do you believe that God is going to keep his word? Sometimes that's the only thing that you had to cling on to is that you believe to see that the goodness of God. Do you still believe that God is still good and that God is still right? Do you still believe, we have evidence for it, but do you believe that God is still going to keep his word and that God is still going to provide and that God's still going to do all these things? God is a great God. And we're going to see his hand moving in the next several chapters. Because God had a promise to these people that he's planning on keeping. And he's going to raise up sources that, that most people go, how in the world did he do that? Because he's God. Because he's God. God specifically said in Ezekiel where we're reading at that he was going to do something that all the nations were going to go, wow, that is God. And that's exactly what God's going to do through the book of Esther. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.